Hello, 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 and welcome to the 17th episode of Mixed Media Reviews. My name is Kelsey, and today I'll be talking about a movie. This week's movie is The Last Airbender. Today's episode is brought to you by the hatred that I feel for myself after having to watch this movie. So, there's that. Um, of course, I knew the stories <laughs> about how terrible this movie adaptation was. I remember it was very hated when it first came out, and I never even bothered wanting to attempt to watch it. However, after completing the show a couple years ago, I wanted more of that world. I had not gotten my hands on the books yet, and I figured the movie probably wasn't that bad. I know sometimes we in the fandoms, we can take things a little too seriously, see things a little too strictly maybe even, and we say a movie or show is bad because it wasn't exactly like the original source material. So I turned on the movie, and then I turned off the movie. It really was that bad. I I did not get very far the first time around because everything was not only wrong, but just not good. It was so bad, and I know I'll just get more into that later, but I could barely watch 15 minutes of it, I think, before I turned it off. Um, so yeah, today's episode is going to have tons of spoilers, because honestly, who cares at this point? Although, there will also be spoilers for the actual show, so be weary of that. Um, but who cares about the movie? And while this episode will be fairly the same structure-wise, I also just kind of was adding stuff as I was watching it. Uh, it might not be as cohesive as past episodes have been, but I had a lot of thoughts and a lot of, a lot of reactions to what I was seeing on screen. I am just going to copy and paste what Google says the movie is about because I'm not even going to try. And they said, the four nations of air, water, earth, and fire lived in harmony until the Fire Nation declared war. A century later, there's still no end in sight to the destruction. Then, an avatar named Aang, I'm going to call him Aang, discovers that he has the power to control the four elements. He joins forces with Katara, a waterbender, and her brother Sokka to restore balance and harmony to the world. Obviously, it's not looking good when even the Google blurb <laughs> doesn't get the story straight. Um, doesn't even get it straight for what the movie actually shows, but whatever. We'll just... We'll just keep going. I'm gonna try to say some nice things about this movie. The opening, pretty good, I guess. The bending doesn't really look great nor does it visually look great, but I like that they're trying to match the opening of a show with the nations and the benders against the colored backgrounds. Again, it's not great, but it just really goes downhill after this, the first like 10 seconds. So I'm adding it to the light cat category because it's not the worst thing in this movie. Appa is pretty creepy, <laughs> but he's still kind of cute. I mean, Appa was barely in the movie, as was Momo, but I guess I'm just pleased that they even were inclined to include them. The bar is pretty low here, guys. I don't necessarily mind the change in the tattooed arrows that are on Aang. Uh, definitely a chance to get pretty creative with how they represent 
um, some visual aspects of the show and having them be like symbols that make up the uh, the arrow. God, I can't even speak today. Having them be symbols that make up the arrow is fairly cool. I'll admit it. Even though I don't, I don't think the arrows were on his hands. It was maybe just on his head and like neck. I'm just going to say that this is a style choice. Like it's not blue and just kind of let it go. Um, because they tried to do something that they thought was cool. And you know what? It is kind of cool that it's not just a blue arrow. It's something unique. So, good job, team. <laughs> There's also a lot more emphasis on the spirit realm in this movie. And maybe that's because they're trying to kind of condense the whole season. It's not really something that I necessarily liked or disliked. It's, I guess, just an observation of what they're doing differently. The spirit world, uh, spirit world was definitely important in the show that was, at least from what I can remember, more to access the Avatar state. And like I mentioned, it's more of a thing that gets more uh, attention in Korra. But again, it's not something that I necessarily like or dislike. Definitely just another choice to mention it as early as they did and to make it so prevalent. Like, that's the reason why the Fire Nation was attacking, I think they said. I don't know. But I'll put it in the like because I am indifferent to it, I guess. John Noble voices the dragon, and you can never go wrong with John Noble, uh, so that's just a positive thing, regardless of the dragon's role or the terrible writing or anything else. But John Noble, solid choice, so that's definitely in the like category. Honestly, I do like a lot of the set design and the costumes. It doesn't look terrible, the different nations all look, you know, fairly distinct from at least what we've kind of see of them. The colors are fairly correct, you know, the blues and the more earth tones for the earth people and stuff. I think they were correct. It's fine. We'll we'll just say that it looked cool. It looked nice. Zuko's ship looked pretty cool. And, you know, had that, like, steampunky kind of a vibe, but also, like, a little hint of the imperialism from Japan in it. The architecture was cool. Again, we don't see a lot of the architecture, but, you know, the the palace that the, the Fire Lord is in looks palacey. And we'll just say they did a good job, because, again, <laughs> the bar is so low, guys. The only chemistry in the entire movie is between Sokka and Princess Yue. And I'm also realizing I called her Princess Yue in the last episode, so just ignore my dumb brain. Which, I mean, finally, this movie is so freaking flat. And we finally see two characters that don't seem like they're just reading a script while talking to each other. They're even kind of cute. Though, of course, typical, they barely show anything. But the scene where she explains, because of course it's her explaining... Uh, where she's explaining why she has white hair was actually, you know, cute. And it seemed natural. They had some good back and forth banter, almost. I guess we'll, we'll, we'll classify it as banter. Um, and they looked like they had emotions, which was very much absent throughout this entire movie with any kind of emotion. So that was nice to see. And... 
Um, I mean, I guess all you could see was their faces because everything was so zoomed in. But it was nice to see the emotion on those faces. In the show, their relationship is pretty fast, but in the movie, it's literally just Katara saying they become fast friends. But again, you know what? At least they have some chemistry, even if they still continue to butcher everything else in this movie. Also, like I mentioned in my Avatar episode, I really liked that they explained how the bending worked. That was one of the things that I really enjoyed about the world and uh, the writing that the original show did. And while they don't, they don't really do this in the movie, and in fact, rewrite how firebending works by saying they have to have an element present to do it, whatever, I do like that they did at least kind of hint at how some things can work by mentioning chi. Again, guys, real low bar. So when Iroh is sending Zuko into the Northern Water Tribe city, Iroh tells Zuko that his chi can warm him. That was it. That was a that was a line. But it was a nice added detail. And I wish, oh god, I wish that there were more things like that. Because it was just one of those details that made Avatar so freaking good. How they could kind of shoehorn information in, but in a way that you seemed natural. And also added more, like, layers to the lore or to people's backstory. Like, they were so good at it. And it made it a rich, like, lived-in world which is like the exact opposite of what this movie is. So thanks for that one line. Because thanks. <laughs> um, let's see, what else? Uh, even in the movie, you can count on Iroh being totally BA, which of course he should be because Iroh was freaking amazing. I loved his character, and we do get to see a bit of that Iroh in this horrific movie. We see him being the kind and gentle uncle, trying to guide Zuko, sometimes, other times just like ignoring him, because they butchered everything. But, little hints of that, we do get to see, and I like when we get to see it. You know, I, I like when we see him fighting for his nephew and protecting him, and not for the Fire Nation. I like that we get to see him care about the balance and trying to protect the moon, sport, moon spirit. And then step in to try to undo that damage. I wish we got to see him wield lightning in that scene. But at least they still try to make him look like the cool guy he is by saying that he's super powerful and whatever. Uh, and like I like that Iroh helped uh, taking Yue out of, the, out of the pond. That was a nice touch because he's a gentle, gentle man. A gentleman and a gentleman. <laughs> um, I will say also that UA's transformation into the moon spirit was maybe not just as, but in its own way, beautiful and and pretty touching for the movie. I thought the way that they depicted it all, like the fish, when the moon spirit died, when the spirit returned to the fish, the way her hair changed in the water, I thought that was all pretty good. Maybe not as beautiful as we get to see it in the show, but the movie had its own language, and I'll say it was well done for the movie. I I did like that part. Good job. <laughs> Especially since, you know, again, we get to see Iroh being that man who places the world before his nation. 
that's a that was a very iro moment. Okay, buckle up, boys. I don't <laughs> I don't know why I just said that, but I guess buckle up because things are going to be long and unenjoyable for all of us from here on out. First things first. I don't like that this isn't on Paramount Plus, so I had to rent it for four dollars. Four dollars. This movie was three ninety nine to rent. <laughs> but seriously. I mean, there's a reason why the show had a 100% critic rating on Rotten Tomatoes and the movie has a 5% critic rating. This was a very tough watch. So, so tough to watch. And I had to pay money to do it. Why do I do these things to myself? (laughs) In my older age, (laughs) in my older 30s age, um, I have come to realize that these adaptations don't always have to be perfect, right? They don't have to be exact to the source material. I do appreciate when the base stays the same, but I don't really mind when they change things. This is why I've loved the MCU so much. I feel like the characters are all pretty true to themselves and the source material. They get storylines that may differ from how things go in the comics, which I understand they don't want us to, you know, kind of easily guess what comes next, but Tony Stark is still Tony Stark in the movies. Peter Parker is still Peter Parker in these movies. We still have the characters doing things and kind of reacting to the world and how we expect them to. Unless this is Steven Rogers in Endgame, then they just throw everything out the window, but that's (laughs) that's another rant. Anyway, uh, and this is why I hated all the X-Men movies. Well, one of the reasons. Uh, especially like in X-Men Origins Wolverine, where Gambit doesn't even have red eyes. I mean, that completely changes his entire backstory. He was born with red eyes, like red eyes, red irises, black eyes. And his parents thought he was a demon and gave him up. And that's how the Thieves Guild got him and raised him as a thief. And that's how Gambit became Gambit. Without the red eyes, his parents wouldn't have given up as a baby. He wouldn't have been in the Thieves' Guild. I mean, that's literally like his whole thing. He has red eyes. And of course, don't get me started on Deadpool. <laughs> Which I know we all appreciate Ryan Reynolds kind of rectifying. But again, different rants for a different world. However, the same thing is kind of applied to The Last Airbender. The changes that were made to the movie weren't to add some new layer of mystery or to create a natural evolution of a condensed timeline of a show being turned into a movie, or even just stylistic choices like, you know, like his arrow is a stylistic choice. No, these were changes that made no sense. Changes like having Katara and Sokka played by white actors while the rest of their tribe are clearly not white as well as having a majority Indian Fire Nation instead of a more Japanese one, which I guess could be okay. But like I talked about in the last episode, the creators of Avatar chose very specific cultures and bending styles and everything else. It wasn't just willy-nilly. They had a very specific purpose for, for doing what they did. They had reasons for it. And while again, I don't necessarily mind changing up the actor's race or ethnicity, When you combine it with everything else that they do in this movie, though, it's very apparent that they lacked the connection to the source material. We have a rich world with nations that have rich histories, ones that were blended to dictate bending styles, cultures, architecture, fashion. And when you lump in all the choices they make for you in this movie, 
you realize that they have no understanding of that rich history or of the lore or of anything else in the Avatar world. Again, I like a solid base from the source that people can then build off of and create something maybe new or different. Why do an adaptation if you're going to change the very base of what you're doing? It's like the new Charmed. Why call it Charmed if the only thing that you're going to do is the same few like word choices and that they have the names are all the same letter? Okay, again, different rant. <laughs> Should I just start doing rant episodes? Maybe. But, but the point is, is that I understand when picking people, sometimes it's better to just pick a person and it doesn't really matter the race. I like that. Remember Brandy Cinderella? Just pick the person who's going to be good for the part. But when you have a story that you are building from, a source to do it from, and obviously they weren't actually people that were, you know, from X country. It was a made up place. But they drew inspiration from specific cultures to create a world in which they were from. And to just kind of cast aside and just do whatever you want, cast a white actor to play Katara when everything that was kind of built up around Katara's life and and heritage and culture and ancestry and everything else that's a part of the water tribes was not white. (laughs) It just seems like... They weren't just doing it because they got good actors and actresses to play these roles. They did it because they just felt like doing, they just didn't care. And which is apparent with everything else that I'm going to talk about today. Because another terrible change is Zuko having only like a slight minor scar on his face. Like you can barely see it. Only if he's facing like a certain direction do you really notice it. And much like Gambit, we needed to see something very noticeably different. Instead, we got a slight scarring and like there's a little hair missing and like his eyebrows messed up. But Zuko got that scar because his father is an abusive tyrant who maimed his own son to dishonor him and then cast him out of the nation, of his home. Zuko wore that very noticeable and distinct scar as a badge of dishonor. It was a sign to all those that he came across that he was the dishonored son of the Fire Lord. It needed to be distinctive, and it needed to be very hard to hide. And speaking of dishonor, where is his ponytail? Where are all the Fire Nation's top knots? Again, it's rewriting things that they shouldn't be rewriting. Because they're... That's like a whole... That's Honor is a huge deal to the Fire Nation, which is something that we learn about over the course of the show. It's literally the entire storyline about, you know, why he cuts it off, why he cuts off the ponytail, how he gets his hair. Um, They go into detail about the meaning behind it, and yet they just leave it out. I mean, it was even brought up in the Kyoshi books because the top knots are such an important part of their culture. But I guess since most of them are Indian instead of Japanese, they just kind of toss this aspect aside. Which I guess, maybe that makes sense. <laughs> if they're, But then they didn't redo anything else. Like, it's not like I now saw, like, Indian things infused. Like, if the architecture of the palace had more, like, Indian-styled architecture, that'd be cool. Yeah, I don't really care what they are. But as long as you make those changes and let them kind of saturate all the things that were originally saturated by the original choices 
but they don't do that. They just kind of pick and choose what they want to rewrite and what they don't want to rewrite. Like again, making firebenders having to have an element of fire present in order to bend it. That completely disregards all of the lore of how firebending came about, of how it differs from the rest of the nations and how they can bend their elements. And then of course, all of the names are wrong. Soka and Ong and I can't even remember the other changes, but they're all terrible. <laughs> I don't, why would you even change the names? I don't get it. They also took Sokka's hilariousness and how he combines his seriousness with his comic relief and they just threw it in the trash because I guess he wanted to make a super serious dark version but they just failed on all fronts of everything about everything that they tried to do because it all feels so serious and you needed some of that comedic relief to kind of play off like I mean that's why Marvel does pretty well right they have dark serious moments but they also have the comedic timing down which is why I think DC doesn't do as well because they're too dark with not enough comedic relief I think it's also why the the whole movie feels so flat. The acting, the expressions, the speech. Sokka was always so over the top with his emotions, where in the movie he's super subdued, and it takes away the funny edge to his seriousness. The entire movie has so much less whimsy. It's just so flat. It doesn't feel dark, it just feels like nothing. There's also a point where Katara narrates and says his name because of course she's narrating because that's 90% of the movie is them talking, narrating, and it's annoying. But then in the next scene, she asks his name. So she knows his name when she narrates the storyline, but she doesn't know it until she asks him in the next scene, and it just feels very odd and disjointed. And this is, like, long after they've already rescued him. Because they rescue him and then fly to the one of the air temples. And I guess it took them to, like, land on the air temple area to ask a basic question. Like, you're not flying on the back of Appa for how long? To, and then you didn't even ask him his name that entire time? <sighs> Such weird choices, guys. They also cut out a lot of them bonding before he goes to the Fire Nation, like when he gets captured in the very beginning, which I get time constraints, but they basically make it so he meets her, falls unconscious instead of being his normal goofy self or acknowledging her or whatever. Then he gets kidnapped and then suddenly they're bonded at the air temple. <laughs> like, cause remember she's like the one saving him from when he's going into the avatar state. So we don't actually see their connection grow he, she literally just learns his name right before he goes into the Avatar state, and we're supposed to leave that somehow she's able to get him to come out of it. There's no, there's no chemistry between them. There's no connection that we see. We barely see them talk before he has, before he goes and gets kidnapped. You know, like that's it. There's, there's nothing, and it, it makes the scene where he, you know, loses control and slips into the Avatar state just that much less powerful. I mean, put that on top of the fact that we don't know any of those people and we have no connection to him because it happened so quickly that he just then goes into, oh, everyone I've ever known is dead. That sucks. But we're like, I don't even know who this guy is. <laughs> He's been on screen for like five seconds. <sighs> yeah. 
the acting is also just so bad. Like, even from people that I'm like, I know you can act well, and yet, you're not doing it. <laughs> I think it's, I think it's worsened, I guess, by the quietness of the movie. In the scene where they're, like, at the earthbending prison camp thing, Aang's supposed to be giving this big speech and announcing the Avatar, but it's so flat. I mean, yes. <laughs> the writing is terrible, but there's also, like, no sound. There's no, like swelling of the music to make it feel uplifting it's just him talking and like I get he's a child in real life too so acting you know he may not be able to make that come across as powerful as we want it but that's why you have everything else that you have in the scene that's why you have directors that's why you have the score that's why you have all these things you also have interrupting phones but yeah so like why couldn't they make that more powerful? Instead, it's just nothingness. And then we get, right after that, a, a Fire Garden Nation pokes fun at Aang by saying something like, if you were the Avatar, you'd be an airbender. And Can you airbend, boy? And then Katara's like, you can't speak to him that way. So she runs slowly up to him and like pushes him haltingly. <laughs> It's just even more anticlimactic. And so, again, the acting isn't great, which I will, you know, when it's young kids, that's not something that we need to necessarily dwell on, whatever, especially when it's people that have never even acted before. But it's so much worsened by bad acting or bad writing and no music. It just really puts the spotlight on the acting, which is not good. <laughs> But that's even true of the people who I know for a fact can act. So it's just, it's just all really bad. And I know I mentioned this, but the bending. <laughs> it's so bad. Like, you see it in the opening, like, little sequence. It's not great, but it definitely doesn't improve over the course of the movie. They have, like, a group of five guys in that earthbending prison camp and they're like all in sync doing like the bending martial arts move and then they're just moving one rock what <laughs> that's you guys had to do all of that to move one rock and then one other dude is able to then use that rock and push it like didn't one dude raise up a rock wall but we had five guys bending so that they can move one rock i don't get it also why are there so many close-ups in this movie so many there's so many close-up shots where it's like you can you can't even see their full head because it's like part of their face. And then there's so many voiceovers with exposition dumps. That's again, like 90% of the movie is just narration and exposition. Also, one of the best things about the show is that they don't show the Fire Lord's face until like, way late in the series, like, maybe even season four. And while I get that you may, you may not want to hide his face for the entire movie, like, maybe it's like, oh, I'm an actor, and I need to have my face on screen, and I need X amount of screen time, or whatever the heck, I don't care. But they don't even try to hide his face at first. I loved that the Fire Lord was in the shadows. It made his character that much more ominous. We only ever saw him from behind. You know, he was mysterious, he, it made him more powerful, it made him more evil feeling, because we didn't ever get to see his face. 
but by revealing his face like immediately with no no circumstance no pomp nothing just here's his face you took away all of his power by just being so blatant about not even pretending like at the end scene they did more of that to do what he would he was talking to his daughter Azula she had the power there because you didn't know who he was talking to at first and she was kind of hidden and you only saw a little bit of her like that was great why didn't they do that to the actual villain of the whole movie I don't get it Um, another hilarious thing is how they reveal how Zuko gets a scar and how he gets kicked out of the fire kingdom, which it's needed. So I get it. Uh, that would be some exposition that I was fine with having, but they do it by Zuko calling over some young boy in the fire nation and asking him what he knows about the fire Lord's son. And then Zuko basically just tells the entire story to the kid when the kid is only offering up like small answers to his question such an odd choice like why couldn't it just be like a memory that we see of Zuko's between him and his uncle kind of bonding about something like him saying Iroh could have just been like look you don't he was already kind of doing that we could stay in this city we could hang out look there's pretty girls I mean that's an Iroh thing to do anyway and then just be like you don't need you know you didn't lose your honor your dad couldn't have taken it like blah 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 whatever and then Zuko could have had that memory but instead he's like I don't know, because everything has to be explicitly explained. There's no subtext in this movie. There's no, there's no us trying to figure it out or piece things together over time. It's just everything has to be literally explained by a character with their mouth and their words. (laughs) Because that's the only way they told us anything. And at this point, I was only like 40 minutes in, which felt like I was already like two hours along. But I realized that we barely had any scenes that helped the movie flow. So many are kind of cut off from the next scene with montages between them and exposition and stupid things. (laughs) There isn't really any sense of real time passing. We just see montages and then we're in another scene where they're explaining something. And it's just one of the thousands of reasons that this movie just never had any promise. I mean, there's so much that happens in this movie or in the show and condensing it into an hour and a half, just, it really isn't possible because every scene that they do in this movie is just used to explain backstory or to explain what we missed from a montage or we see them talk about talking. (laughs) We don't see them actually doing it. Like when Sokka tells Katara to talk to Aang, but then the next scene is Aang leaving and Sokka telling Katara, I guess the talk didn't work. Why didn't we see that talk? (laughs) It's just every single piece of dialogue is a way to tell the viewer more information instead of the characters actually talking and discussing something together. Uh, We see General Zhao all the time saying well as you know this is this and as you know this like yeah we get it (laughs) you don't have to tell us every single time and you certainly don't have to tell have the characters telling other characters things that you want us to know (sighs) another scene uh Zhao mentions that he uh that the avatar has been seen 
fighting against the Fire Nation in the village, and it's been very impressive, but he's only used airbending against the soldiers. Yet, again, we never really see any of that. We saw him use airbending against one soldier. It was not impressive, but the rest of it, we didn't ever really see them do anything. So the whole movie, again, is just telling them so that we can know what's going on instead of just showing us what's going on. There's nothing for us to figure out, piece up, piece together on our own. It's all just told to us by the characters telling each other what's going on. And it's so bad. It's just so bad. Because every single scene just feels like, like, I don't even know, like you're not watching a movie, you're just watching a series of scenes. Because there's so much going on that they constantly switch between all the characters, between all the different, you know, like, places in the story. And each scene is therefore catching us up on what's been going on by the characters telling each other. And instead of seeing what's been going on, we just, again, hear them catching up. I also, like, in the show, I really love seeing all the creatures that they came across. And it was super disappointing that there were barely any in this movie. There was Appa, Momo, and then we don't really see anything until, um, until the Fire Nation attacks the Northern Water Tribe and we see them riding those, like, huge Komodo dragon things. Where are all the fun creatures in this movie? There's none. Where'd they go? That was a great part. I love seeing the little turtle ducks. They were so cute. And <laughs> I, ha I just have a note here that says, seriously, every scene has to have some kind of backstory in it. Because I think this is the point where Aang and Princess Zuko are, like, fighting in the Northern Water Tribe. And Aang is, like, waking up unconscious. And Zuko is, like, just looking out a window talking about his sister and how his sister is more loved by his dad and how he has to earn back his honor. And he's just, like, monologuing to himself. Because, of course, he is. Because how else would we know that his dad loves his sister more unless we hear it come out of the character's mouth? <laughs> oh, gosh. The also... So the show had so many moments with women being super powerful, but they did not showcase that at all in the movie. Not a single one. They completely cut out the Kyoshi warriors, and Katara never even really shows her strength throughout the movie. All of the good like, <laughs> oh, there's a scene where Katara is in a voiceover, of course, and talking about how Aang uh, can't get the hang of waterbending for some reason. And he, like, walks over to, like, watch her. And she's, like, doing the movements of waterbending. But you don't see any waterbending. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's, like, basically the entire show. Like, or the entire movie. All of the good character development in that show was basically just taken away and forgotten about. We never see anyone grow except for, I guess, Aang when he can waterbend better later which I guess is just because that's the end of season one, <laughs> is that he can then, like, waterbend. But, like, there's no character growth. They took away Sokka's character growth. They took away Katara's, you know, learning to become a better uh, bender. Like, she learned a lot from the Northern Water Tribe, too, but that's just all left out. Like, we don't really even see Sokka or uh, Zuko grow at all. 
just nothing. There's there's no character development, and all of the women are just kind of like whatever until I guess the end when the Fire Lord is like talking to Azula. Like I guess she's supposed to be cool and powerful, but like we don't see her doing any, anything, and like no other woman is really in the movie who shows any kind of strength or power. And uh, I don't know, guys. Um, there's, I'm sure there's tons more that I can talk about. I could go on for days about all of the different changes that they made, but this is getting way too long. <laughs> I should probably stop now. So, should I recommend this movie? <laughs> I definitely do not recommend it. I mean, you can go ahead and watch it if you also want to hate yourself. Uh, I don't think you'd even enjoy it, even if you've never seen the show, because there's just... It's, it's not that it's necessarily a bad adaptation, which don't get me wrong, it's definitely a bad adaptation, but it's also just a bad movie. There's so much exposition throughout the entire movie, and it's pointless and needless exposition. There are some things that, yes, it's good for them to tell us and whatever. Like, I, again, I like having magic systems explained to me. There's, there's places for good exposition, but this movie is literally just 100% exposition. There's nothing else. Everything has to be told. There's no subtext. There's no inference. There's no us piecing together things. Nothing. It's all told to us. And every single scene pretty much is just them dumping information on you. And there's barely any scenes that last long before then jumping to another situation where we have to then be filled in. And I get that this came out in 2010 when most movies weren't very long like they are now. Now it's not very common that movies are only like an hour and a half, but this would have probably benefited for a much longer movie. I mean, it would have benefited to not have a movie at all, <laughs> but if it had been longer, maybe they could have paced things out better and let us infer some things instead of having everything told to us. It's just really unfortunate because it could have been better if they had just honored the source material more, took it more seriously, and made it longer to allow for the movie to be more of a movie and less of a talking thing. <laughs> uh, and there you have it. Those are my thoughts on The Last Airbender. Thank you so much for joining me. You can find me on Instagram and Facebook at Mixed Media Reviews Podcast, and you can also find me anywhere you find your podcasts. Probably. I think Google Podcasts takes like an extra day to upload for reasons unknown, but whatever. Please join me next week where I will be having a much better time talking about the Avatar Kyoshi novels. Have a wonderful rest of the day. Bye!